Just when you think you're out, we pull you back in. This is And Justice for Al, brought to you by Tazini Media. Uh, I swear it's not a world of men. It is not a world of men machine. World of clock watches. Bureaucrats. Office holders, what it is. Fucked up world. No adventure to it. Dying breed. Yes, it is. We're the members of a dying breed. That's... That's... That's why we gotta stick together. I'm your host, Steve Semino, and with us, as always, is Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Steve. How's it going? Good. This is more intimate affair than you might be used oh. to if you're used if you're a fan of the In Real Deep podcast. This is we're taking it on a different uh different different little journey in 2016, and that journey is through the life and times of Alfred Alfredo Pacino, <laughs> one of a man who is, is is divisive, especially these days, and draws a strong reaction from many people, as you'll hear, I'm sure, no doubt, through these next 12 installments. But we thought that there's no one better with such a rich career and again such a a large, wide scaling one, there's no one better to discuss and allow us to, to sound off on our favorite thing to do, which is share our opinions. Old fettuccine Al. <laughs> well, I, I gotta say, I think where I guess we'll get to the end of where Al ranks in like the acting pantheon, but this was kind of a selfish choice by us, right? Because you, you love Al Pacino more than I think anyone should, and uh. <laughs> And then my friend Tom, who will be a, a recurring guest uh, for one season on this, absolutely despises Al Pacino. So we'll get to his his hot takes on Al later. Yeah, and you and you will be the 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 back and forth, the oscillating one. I think you know, I'm intrigued to hear your takes on some of these movies. We picked twelve of maybe not the best Al performances, but the most interesting, or the most newsworthy, or the most sort of provocative. And and definitely some more modern ones as well, being as we're both youngish men, we didn't we weren't there to appreciate Al in the '70s and '80s, but we've definitely still grown up with him through the '90s and today. So we we picked a wide swath of films that we think really are are Al are super Al centric for the most part, and really give you a whole idea of what he's doing with his career and his ups and downs, and and what he eventually turned out to be. You know, as he nears the end of his illustrious life. And the order was very intentional. And it's also, I think, 13, because we're doing a double feature with Heat and something else one of the That's months. true. You're right. It is so, 13. Yeah. yeah. We, we couldn't resist. We see we had to go to 13 because Al's so great. That with 12, just wouldn't cut it. A baker's dozen of Al. <laughs> yep. As the old saying goes. It does. So, without further ado, our episode today, our first episode, um, this is the January episode, even though it's a little late, so we apologize, but we'll, you get, you get a twofer in February, so that's wonderful. And we're going to be talking about Glengarry Glenn Ross, which is an Academy Award-nominated film, um, the, the home of one of the most iconic monologues in movie history, and uh, Al Pacino performance that is a little on the short side, but definitely on the quotable and provocative and outlandish. And he, he definitely gives it his all here. And we can argue a little bit about whether that's for better or for worse. Yeah, and it's uh, this was a great one to start with because it was like a little, little morsel. But like as we were talking about before we started, this is a movie with some really great performances. And 
It's just like, it almost seems like a movie, and it's based off of a play, so I guess that makes sense, a David Mamet play. But uh, it almost seems to exist for the the really famous actors in it to just choose scenery. Um, yeah. and, and they do. Uh, and, and Al is probably a, a great example of of scenery chewing he's he there are yeah there there's a lot of yelling there's a lot of cursing there's a lot of misogyny and (laughs) al is plays a part in all of that stuff and and you might not be surprised to find that i think it's pretty brilliant and (laughs) but that's what we're here to talk about we're here to talk about exactly what makes it special and what al brings to the table here and for me, Andrew, I don't know, and this is a top five Al Pacino performance for me, and I'm not oh, wow. exaggerating. Wow. I know he does bigger, bolder, longer, more substantial things, but to me, everything he does in this movie is perfect. I, I there's very few. There's one actual thing that I'll probably nitpick later on, but I I think every second Al is on on screen in this movie, it just pops, and it's so fantastic, and he's so enticing, and he's so such a smart ass, and it just I I really love it. Um, we should probably back up and give people a little context since this is an older movie. Uh, yes, that's good. It came out in 1992. It also stars Kevin, Kevin Spacey, Jack Lemmon, um, Alan Arkin, Ed Harris, who am I forgetting? Jonathan Alec Baldwin. Price, Jonathan Price, and of course Alec Baldwin, right. Um, and it's based off of a play. Uh, and, and Pacino's character in this, they're all salesmen. Um, and Pacino's character in, the, in this is, is Ricky Roma. Which is just a great, fantastic name for a character, uh, especially one played by Al Pacino, uh, and he is like the best salesman in the office. And as as uh, Alec Baldwin famously tells all of them, except for Al, who's not in the room at the time. He's but he's going anyway. First place car, second place knives, third place you're fired. So there's an de- air of desperation, and it takes place over two days, right? So the whole mm-hmm. the whole movie takes place a night and a day, pretty much. Night and a day, yeah, probably less than two days. Um, so I have a, a different sort of. I, I do agree that it's a great Pacino performance, particularly because I, I've been thinking a lot about this since we started down the Owl Road. Uh, one of the things I love about a Pacino performance is like where you just find yourself just watching him and you have no idea what he's actually saying the whole time. Uh, like, or the words are coming out of his mouth and they seem really important, but then you're like, did he, I, like, you mentioned the train compartment quote. It's like, what is what, what yeah. is he talking about? He says words, they're real words. You've never heard them organized in that particular way in a sentence before. Like, they don't necessarily make any sense. And he just says them with such, like, conviction that you're like, all right, I'll buy it. I'll yeah, buy I guess train compartments do smell like shit. I don't <laughs> yes, recall that. But only but vaguely, only vaguely. If Ricky sells it to me, I kind of buy it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about his character the entire time. He's imbued with this sort of innate confidence, and he, you see him the entire movie selling to Jonathan Price, who plays another, who plays sort of a sort of meek, down on his luck sucker that Pacino's trying to get one over on, and you can just see him like slowly worm his way into a little friendship and. And say funny things and sort of give give John the Price's character some like weird moral absolvement of his sins. Like he he sort of allows him to be the person. He, it's and it's it's crazy that it all leads up to is him just selling him some land. Like, yeah, yeah. They have this bond that they tries that Pacino forms, and it's all for the process of just having him give him you know a couple hundred grand, which is a lot, but it just it feels so much larger with the stuff he's saying and the way he's trying to present himself. So it kind of mirrors with his performance in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I th- I was I, I was sort of struck again viewing this movie through the lens of I personally 
this movie, like the first few times I saw it, I really tended to focus more on like Jack Lemmon's character because mm-hmm. he's like the Shelly the Machine Levine, yes, who is the basis for uh, Gil Gunderson on The Simpsons. If it, That's right. if it <laughs> yeah. Which is even funnier when you then watch it like a second time as if it's Gil Gunderson. But uh, um, but yeah, I was struck by the the dichotomy like basically the night and day like literally the night and day in the movie mm-hmm. like he's this smooth salesman with jonathan price in the chinese restaurant across the street um and then and then the next day when jonathan price like comes by and he tries to like sort of get out of the deal like al gets increasingly more desperate you know which is kind yeah. of like a really interesting Shift. I mean, he goes from like he's not even in the room when Alec Baldwin is threatening everyone's jobs, which shows you how confident he is as a character, Ricky Roma, to like on the breaking point right there. And I think you can see hear that in these two clips. What I'm saying, what is our life? Our life is looking forward or it's looking back. That's it. That's our life. Where's the moment? You stupid fucking cunt. You, Williamson, I'm talking to you, shithead. You just cost me $6,000. $6,000 and one Cadillac. That's right. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it, asshole? You fucking shit. Where did you learn your trade, you stupid fucking cunt, you idiot? Whoever told you that you could work with men? Could I, uh... Oh, I'm gonna have your job, shithead. I'm going downtown. I'm gonna talk to Mitch and Murray. I'm going to Lemkin. I don't care whose nephew you are, who you know, whose dick you're sucking on, you're going out. I swear to you, you're going... Let's get this done. Anyone in this office lives on his wits. I'm gonna be with you in a second. What you're hired for is to help us. Does that seem clear to you? To help us, not to fuck us up. To help men who are going out there to try to earn a living, you fairy, you company man. I'll tell you something else. I hope you rip the joint off. I can tell our friend here a little something might help him to catch you. You want to learn the first rule, you'd know if you ever spent a day in your life. You never open your mouth till you know what the shot is. You fucking child. So yeah, I think I think that is in some ways I've always like I was saying before the the clip, I've always viewed like the the uh Gil Gunderson, Shelley the Machine Levine, uh part of it like i've always tended to focus on that part of the movie more um because he's kind of desperate the whole time Mm -hmm. right um and and i guess watching it this time with al it it was almost like more depressing in a way because like (laughs) because like shelly's like you know he's like he's just he's like an old dog with no new tricks right yeah kind of like he's washed up but like even al who's like it would seem ricky roma's in the prime of his like you know career as a salesman um 
and even he gets like super super desperate at the end and just starts going off on people and and telling Kevin Spacey that, that you know he's a a child and yeah. whatever else a he fairy, tells a company. yeah yeah um so i guess viewed through that lens it made me more depressed and really glad i'm not a salesman i was going to say like that's the word <laughs> that's the thing like i think al i think ricky roma is is obviously pretty good at his job but they walk such a fine line and yep. you you can see how quickly it turns and you can see when it turns for roma he gets pissed off cuz he's a young vital man and he mm-hmm. he gets mad at kevin spacey's character yells when it turns for Lemon, Lemon just is, you know, like you said, you, that was a great way to put it. He's got no tricks left whatsoever. And some of the depressed faces Jack Lemon makes in this movie are just, he like transforms and shrivels up like he's a raisin. It's just, it's amazing to watch just the actor just do that. It was a great Jack Lemon performance. But like you said, we're not talking Jack Lemon, even though he is, he is the main character. He's in the bulk of the movie and I can see yeah. why you'd follow him because Ricky, like you said, Ricky's not in the beginning very much at all. No. He's in a couple scenes and then he's in the last second half a ton but he just, he more just comes on as this force of energy at the end. And I think one of the reasons we picked this movie to do it first, and I know you feel this way as well, Andrew, and I definitely agree, even though I love it, is it definitely sort of borders that line. It came out in, what, 1992? Yeah, yeah so yeah. it was right about when Al Pacino was going to do Sin of a Woman and going to his whole on-screen persona was going to dramatically change, or at least a new series of roles were going to open up to him where the goal was for him to be as bombastic and aggressive and loud as possible and you could definitely see a lot of that in ricky roma and a lot of the stuff that yeah I, and does. I think son of a woman came out immediately after this uh film. i think you're right yeah at and, least in his filmography and um and yeah i i started thinking about this and i see it as a real like and not that it's like he's bad in glenn garrigan glenn ross but like i hey, don't like ever you, say that don't i feel like you, you can just see the signs fire. coming though of like you know this outlandish outsized caricature of himself basically like starting to form in the second half of the movie like just the way he says words in the second half of the movie oh it's so changes. good his like stilted delivery and the way he like yeah. pauses at weird times yeah but it's like i guess viewed through that lens it, is, it become it becomes kind of a harbinger of of maybe less happy al things to come but yeah. But maybe i i don't know i, I guess that's where you do you take the good with the bad you know like and and I guess I, I'm also wondering, like, does Pacino still have this in him somewhere? Or is he just, like, is he stuck in second half Ricky Roma for <laughs> all time now? I don't know. He's 75 now. I don't think he's coming back, unfortunately. Although I do hear Danny Collins is great. And I think we may traverse <laughs> to the Danny Collins universe at some point in the series. But I still think, I think when with David Mamet's words coming out of Al Pacino's mouth... As yeah. silly as they might sound, and as as, ag- as aggressive and on the top as he might be, to me it just flows so amazingly. Like I, no one writes words like David Mamet. He's an extremely unique, you know, crafter of language. And some of the stuff that Ricky Roma says, and the way he interacts with everybody is so distinct. Like he has no patience. He has to summon such patience to talk to Alan Arkin's character. Like he's so tired of yeah. Alan Arkin's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. But he loves Shelley. He loves the machine, and he'll talk to Jack Lemmon's character all day. Like, it's really funny to see them. And and they do that little improv when John the Price comes in. Yep. They pretend like they're... And they don't do a good job at all. Like, it's a really no. bad improv. No. But they're both really yeah. happy. Like, they, they think they did a great job. And it's just... It's so fun to watch them all try and live in this world. This sad, depressing world. That's acting to do a good... A good... It's a good acting to do a bad job at pretending <laughs> yeah. to act. To drop out you of your good performance. I mean? Yeah, yeah. bad yeah. for a second. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a it's it's you know, I just really like that. 
I really like that they are so that everything is just so everyone is so great in this movie and you don't see a lot of plays that go that go to the screen so well and it's the direction of this is pretty straightforward and it's nothing you know it's mostly just zooms on each guy as they're talking I feel like yeah. but or panning around the office but I really think they're all just so perfect and they play with each other so well and Al in general like I think you know it's great having Al play a character who doesn't who isn't in the first half and isn't in the plotting and just comes on like a force of nature and yells. Like, I think I hate that it may have spawned a lot of his worst roles later on, but I, I'm, I think he's tremendous in this and I think he deserves his Academy Award nomination and then some. Yeah. I was thinking about the Academy Awards in this film and why it probably didn't like, cause it's, to me, it's like, it's so quotable, right? I mean, obviously, Pacino's lines are yeah. Did you ever have a dump that makes you feel like you just slept for twelve hours? <laughs> Pacino's lines are like second to Alec Baldwin's, uh, but they're also crazy quotable. But I, I was thinking about the Oscars, and I'm like, I'm guessing the reason it didn't do that well is because it didn't really like. It just was this play, and it didn't really build on the play. Really, there's not like, not that there's anything you'd want to do to change it, but like, there's no. There's no craft, not a lot of craft here. It's, no. other than, it's just an acting exhibition, right? That, they, they set up a camera and pointed at these guys and said, "Do yep. some, do some acting for us, yep. please." Yeah. So, what do you think would have happened if 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 Ricky Roma and Alec Baldwin's character had been in the same room at the same time? Would it just <laughs> been like a nuclear explosion of some sort? That's or? one of the great what ifs in cinematic history. I'd say I really don't know. I wish we could have seen that. You know that Alec Baldwin's character is not in the play. Have you heard that? No, I didn't know they that. Wrote him, they wrote him specifically for the movie. Wow. So it's pretty crazy. They said, hey, David Mamet, add a scene to this movie. He's like, okay, I'll just write one of the best scenes ever for you guys. So that character's not at all, like, is there no. anything else like that in the play? That... I'm not sure. I never saw the play. I don't know exactly where they do the snake knives thing or how they make that clear. Maybe Spacey just tells them, or Spacey's character. Yeah, but I, so. I know for a fact that that's the character's not in the play. Well, it's just hard to imagine because that, that's such a tone setter, right? I yeah. Think, like, uh, for the all the characters, but also especially with Pacino's character that he's not even there, right? That yeah, like, absolutely. It makes him seem above it all very quickly aloof. in a very, yeah. you know, a side kind of way. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that scene's in there because it's, it's, it's amazing. Not, and not just because they've, you know, made a great SNL sketch off of it with, with <laughs> Christmas elves. I assume you've seen that one, right? I don't know if I've seen that now. Oh, yeah. Well, one of the many times he's hosted, it's, it's like he's like the boss elf in Santa's work, workshop. And I think he, the thing instead of always be closing, it's always be cobbling or something like that. And he's, <laughs> right. he just kind of lay. It's not that great of a sketch, but it's it's funny because he just lays into the elves uh, uh, for for not working hard enough or, or whatever. <laughs> it's pretty good. That does sound good. I'll give it a chance. I was gonna say that this movie and also is such a is very much a product of the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. There's a lot of indian bashing and there's a lot of uh <laughs> there's a lot of gay bash or like use of hateful language towards yeah. the homosexual community yeah. so it definitely doesn't feel progressive and but i mean but at the same time there's they're, they're old-fashioned salesmen too so it definitely yeah. even now it works because i can't imagine being a salesman today i don't think they're anything like these frumpled old dudes in you know raincoats and briefcases so yeah. it works for it it's definitely a movie of a certain era but it, it hits that all those marks pretty well the other thing I kept thinking about, speaking of like the different eras, is like the whole like concept of getting leads on a card, like yeah, to, to go out and sell to. Because like I don't know about you, but at my job, like uh, we we do a lot of, you know, I'm like the marketing side of the 
but the sales is like the the flip side of it. Mm-hmm. But our leads come in through like our website or like, and it's all like automated through this big system. No one's like sitting there at their desk without a computer, like waiting for a card that's gonna like make the, <laughs> you know. And there's all this intel about the people. Like now you can just, you know, snoop on them on LinkedIn. Everything like it's just it's totally like that part of it was like I'm like wow this is an old this is an old way to do things like. There's and, a great shot of Baldwin's character holding the cards, and they're all pink, and there's a little bow wrapped around. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone yeah. wrapped them up so nice yeah. and pretty, so we could present yeah. them to everyone, so that no one in there could have them. Yeah. yeah. Oh and, man, yeah, was... it's. I feel like that that setup though is structured to also bring out like homophobia and latent racism because you're like, you're like, there's nothing for those guys to do except for make phone calls or like say like racist slurs to each other make phone calls drink be racist yeah yeah Yeah, (laughs) yell like yeah their lives are pretty limited i i'm glad you brought up the indian thing too because i don't like there's not even himself come down (laughs) there's not even like an indian character in the movie i just don't even know where that comes from yeah they shit on the patels a lot sorry they don't buy from you they don't buy your expensive real estate yeah I liked how the movie, it was also, this is not Al-centric necessarily, even though he did, that was kind of cool too in the second part of the movie, when Al came back to the office and you saw him like doing a little work because they stole the leads and he he was making those same calls and was lying about, you know, I'm here to present a package to you, it's a prize, I'm only available until 6pm, like, they're all in this world where all they do is just lie and just come up with bullshit and like, his long con on price seemed like it was a very special one-off project. And otherwise, they seems like they make a lot of calls and pretend like there's someone else and hope they can get their foot in the door and then get you to buy some stuff. Pretty much, yeah. The 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 amount of line, like, yeah. Who is telling the truth at all in that entire movie? I don't know that anyone tells the truth. No, not even Kevin Spacey's character. I don't. I feel yeah, like. he says the contract was in and it wasn't really in. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So uh, Andrew, how many? So to. To the, on the scale that we're assigning these wonderful Al Pacino movies, which is the Corleone brothers, which um, from Michael to Fredo with Sonny in the middle, and maybe not even in the middle, that's that's up for interpretation, but of all three Corleone sons, which how, what would you give Al Pacino's performance in Glengarry Glen Ross? I guess with Sonny, it's, it's a question of whether it's better to burn out than to fade away, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I I'm on the fence on this one, uh, especially because we just came up with this rating system 20 minutes ago. But uh, don't pull back the curtain like that. I think I think I'm gonna give him a Michael trending towards Sunny. Uh, I feel like if the movie was 20 minutes longer, it would have been a full Sunny. Yeah, but because it was shorter, and you have the whole beginning part with with Jonathan Price, that's a very Michael part of the movie. So it's understated and, and wise and I think this is a Michael Corleone level level performance here. But yeah, if the movie was twenty minutes longer it would have it would have drifted into into sunny territory. I think this is why it's great that we're talking about Pacino though, because he's such there's this his career has this dichotomy and this splitting point, which definitely comes after Son of a Woman. Although there's been movies like The Insider and and other stuff where he's definitely and like all the stuff he's done for HBO is is even though he plays bombastic characters he's not necessarily screaming the entire time. Yeah, but he like so yeah. he has this in him. I think he's had this in them the whole time. But he just I, I mean and and we don't know what it's like being an actor when you get to be in your sixties. Maybe the roles that come are just garbage, and you sort of just mm-hmm. take what you can get because he's not Al Pacino of in his thirties anymore, where he's getting all the best offers from the best writers and directors. 
Right. He's not sitting there like going to open a huge box office at age 65. You know? Yeah. It's just not happening. No, that's a good point. Um, but, yeah. But, he, it, but it, he does. Like even De Niro, like De Niro had like a slow decline and De Niro at this point, which is I think that's a good way to because they've always been compared and they were when they were together in heat. It was such an exciting moment. But De Niro is just is, is a joke now. Like there is and I don't think Al Pacino ever became a joke. Like he's done things that brought him perilously close to being a joke, like Jack and Jill and Geely. And some real garbage along the way. It's in 88 minutes and, and righteous kill. Like he's been in some crap, but he's never. He seems like he's always doing his best. Like he's always trying, and maybe that level of trying gets skewed because he starts yelling and being silly. But he never allowed himself to become a total parody. And I think that's interesting in his career. Whoa, he didn't allow himself to become well, a total like, but, parody. Like, but think about well, well, yeah, maybe that's not the right way to put it. But. <laughs> Robert De Niro now though like Robert De Niro, maybe maybe parody is the wrong word but Niro, Pacino's never been a joke I don't think I think Robert De Niro is became a joke a couple of years ago and it just gets oh, sort see, of worse I, and worse every I year I think I totally disagree I would say the opposite thing you don't I, think I, Robert De Niro is a joke at this point I think De Niro's had the good sense to just slow down and be in do a we need to pull up Robert De Niro's filmography so we, we can you can do we need to pull out Al Pacino's filmography I would love to let's do a whole episode where we just check it down the list <laughs> I think Robert De Niro embarrasses himself on a pretty consistent basis. And I think Al has pulled it back. I mean, maybe there was a stretch there where I bet there's crap, 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 crap. But he snuck in those HBO movies. And I feel like lately he's slowed down the output. And he hasn't done anything where he's in his underwear dancing with Zac Efron, which is probably a nice payday. But I think it sort of everyone's going to think of De Niro in a lot of negative ways. I think Al is sort of coasting off into the sunset with a little more dignity than, than old Robert is. Well... I just disagree with that statement entirely. Okay. I don't know what to do with that. I you mean, really? Do you have, do you see? Like, what's? I'm pulling up Robert De Niro's movies right now. I'm trying to keep the microphone next to me so I can tell <laughs> officially. I just, just think he's just I, been real garbage. I think you're showing your true Al colors now. I think De Niro is like been in like very anonymous garbage by and large, whereas Pacino is like. I'm, I always feel like I'm like, wait, Pacino's doing what? He's playing Jack Kevorkian? Like, but but the, but the Jack Kevorkian movie was well was acclaimed. I, though. I know, I know. I, that's the only one I could think I of. Know. But 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 look uh, at this. So so dirty grandpa. He's in a movie called Manglehorn. Like I don't even know <laughs> okay, what the hell that is. Bad. I can't speak to Manglehorn. That's that's. <laughs> but look at this. So Robert De Niro, Dirty Grandpa, The Intern, Grudge Match, Las Vegas. Like I think those are pretty big. And he's got a couple of good ones. He was good in the Silver Linings Playbook. I hear he was okay in Joy. But I think some. I think his sort of sad, silly movies are, are way bigger than Al's. I feel like Al, Al's, Al's going out a little quieter. As weird as it is to say that, because Al's not a quiet person. I, yeah, I don't think he ever goes out quietly of anything. Um, I would have felt a lot better about this conversation had Dirty Grandpa not just come out. Yeah, that's true. Dirty Grandpa is sort of... <laughs> that's really like a lead weight around De Niro's neck. Because um, uh, he snuck in a bunch of the, the David O. Russell ones definitely help a little bit. Going, I've heard know. I've heard that I don't... I do, does not look like the kind of movie that's good to me at all, but uh, I've heard The Intern is actually okay as well. Um, uh, I think... I think Tarantino had it on like his top ten list for the year. <laughs> Tarantino has the weirdest things in the top He's weird. Ten list. He's weird. I know, but I, I. Oh, Limitless too. Give me that pill. I need that pill. But yeah. Yeah. Um... I just. I just don't. I just don't. 
I'm less I'm less arguing about De Niro and more arguing that the things you're saying Al hasn't done, he definitely has done, which is to Well, you know what? Here's here's what we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to when we get to heat, this is gonna be a forty minutes of us yelling about this and not any sort of heat related conversation. (laughs) We're not gonna talk about Michael Mann's movie at all. (laughs) (laughs) Or if we do a special Righteous Kill episode, which I don't know, have you seen Righteous Kill? Yes. I do not wish to if we want to do 14, we can do an extra Righteous Kill episode. That would be a good way to do it, because like, it's a really shitty movie. Who is shittier in the shitty movie, I Righteous guess. Kill is a nightmare. That's a terrible movie. I went to the theaters by myself and saw that, and I was it was good, because I was so sad, but I didn't have anyone else to hear it. I was just you, couldn't, you couldn't get anyone else to go? No, people were watching. Smart- they, were, they all made fun of me and said, what are you doing? Why? Mm. No. But I trudged there anyway, because that's how much I love Al and Robert De Niro. I like Robert De Niro a lot, too, but it just didn't really work out. Yeah. Well, I'm going to uh, give, unsurprisingly, I'm going to give this one a strong Michael. But I see what you're saying about Sonny. And I think that, like you said, a little bit of the Sonny in there is, is not a bad thing at all. Like, I think his, his best performances are probably like Godfather 2 when he's 100% Michael. And then he has the one moment of just freaking out and smacking Diane Keaton. Yeah. Which is, yep. which is the nice way. Because when his explosions can be, when they're controlled, are great. And this yep. is a little more shooting them all over the place. But... I think it is one of, like I said, one of the best Al's, and I think he does a really good job of balancing the two for the most part, of, or at least for entertainment purposes. He, he, like you said, he's very quotable. He's very engaging. He's very sort of exciting and pops. And maybe it's not, maybe it did portend negative things to come. But I think he, uh, I think for Al's sake, it was it was before it started getting dipping into some questionable territory. So I'm giving it two thumbs up. A full Michael with a sliver of Sonny and full Michael. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I, like I can't that. recommend it. If you haven't seen it, I think go go find it. I think I believe uh, it's on Netflix. Uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon streaming. Prime. Free, free. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was a great. It's it's not a long one either. Too. It no, it an hour and forty right minutes, out. which I was very excited about because next up is Godfather Two, so I'm probably gonna have to watch that over like a week. Yeah, that's gonna be a long twenty minute segment. <laughs> I think we've both seen that like twenty times already. So I guess we could just you could almost skip through all of the De Niro scenes, which sounds like you'd want to do anyway, based on your <laughs> oh, hatred. No, don't don't besmirch my thoughts on Robert De Niro. I love Robert De Niro. If he if he's listening, I love you, Robert De Niro. I just I just think you had a worse last seven years than Al Pacino has. So. I think it's been longer than seven years for those two guys. So. Yeah, I, I just mean, I, I mean, I, 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 you're right. Al had a really rough stretch, but I think De Niro has gotten worse over the last short amount of time. And we'll, someday we'll have to, we'll go down and do it, and we'll and we'll nitpick everything out. Probably not on a podcast recording, and we'll yell about it some more, and maybe find a compromise. But for now, it's uh, it's good. The stage is sort of set for our thoughts on Mr. Pacino and and the rest of his career to come. All right. Well, let's. That's a good segue into uh, a little little segment I'm recording with my friend Tom, who is going to be as negative as possible. So let's let's listen in and get get Tom's thoughts on Glenn Garrigan, Glenn Ross, and also get his uh, his his rating. I am predicting a clean sweep of uh, of Fredo ratings for the entire I don't, series, I don't except like for you maybe already, Godfather Tom. too. <laughs> All right. Tom. Let's listen in. And now for something a little bit different. Welcoming into the Injustice for Al podcast, uh, my good friend Tom Kutch for for perhaps the uh, the diametrically opposed take on Al Pacino's role in uh, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. How's it going, Tom? Good, good, AJ. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Big fan of the podcast. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. You're one of the tens of people who downloads it, so that's good. Uh, all right, well, I want to get right into it. Tom's going to be a recurring uh, guest on our podcast, and mainly as a counterbalance to Steve, and I'm somewhere in the middle as the sage, wise old man. Because, uh, uh, Tom, as, I, as I've explained to you, Steve loves Al Pacino, right. owns more Al Pacino movies than probably anyone should and on the other on the other end of the spectrum is you who hates Al Pacino with a with a fiery passion so right. I, I think first I, I'm most interested in in your in your distaste for Al Pacino generally and then we'll get into into Glenn Gary Glenn Ross and where you sort of rate that performance in his uh in his in his filmography but first if you can give us a little overview of the listeners for for why you dislike Al Pacino so much. Well, I guess it comes down to the fact that I think he's just a fraud in his profession. <laughs> because, because the profession that he's in is one where the entire conceit is trying to be, you know, several characters or, or several different people, depending on the role. That's something that he never learned in acting school because the role doesn't matter to him. Um, for whatever reason, a lot of people like this. But he just plays whatever character that he crafted for himself at some point. Not not from the beginning. All, you know, I'm not totally unfair. But at some point, he's just like, whether it was fame or whatever, someone's like, oh, you should just do that role for the rest of your waking life. And that's all he's done. And I don't understand. People are like, oh, he's, you know, he's, he ad-libs all the time. He's great. Never mind the fact that he's never paying attention to any script he's ever given. And he's just playing the same character no matter what. So that's that's why. And to call yourself an actor by doing that seems like a disservice to other people who uh, actually play different characters and uh, change what they do on screen. So, okay, I, 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 I get the, the central point there of why that would be sort of a loathsome thing relative to other actors who, you know, like, let's say Daniel Day-Lewis as point of comparison who, like, literally melts into a role... Like, in Lincoln, you just were convinced he was Abraham Lincoln for, like, most of the movie. Right. Like, forgot it was an actor playing him. Right. So don't you think, though, that a lot of big movie stars are guilty of the same thing? Like, when you said that, I immediately thought of Denzel Washington and how he kind of plays the same character. And maybe you feel the same way about Denzel Washington that you do about uh, about Al Pacino. But I just want to point that out, that I feel like a lot of big movie stars follow that that trajectory where they end up playing some version of the same character. I even think you could say that of someone like like DiCaprio in a lot of in a lot of in a lot of ways. And not in not in a negative way, but they you know, you always know you're watching them, right? As opposed yeah. to the, the character they're playing. No, I freely admit that. And part of it is degrees. I mean Denzel, I do mm-hmm. actually have that criticism of him at times, but I do think he's a bit more varied in how he plays even Denzel. And, you know, someone like DiCaprio, like, he kind of has this baggage of someone who just has his, like, meltdowns or yells a lot to, like, get, you know, plaudits for his. But, again, it it just seems like there's a different level of, even if there is similarities, obviously, in their performances, it just seems less stark. And, and obviously, like, someone like Jason Statham plays himself in every movie, but no one's <laughs> saying that he's, like, this, you know, award-winning, like, moving right. amazing actors so i think it's right. just the fact that like if you just call al pacino it's just like he's a, a guy that yells that doesn't have much talent but man he's bankable for movies then i would really have a problem with him but that doesn't seem to be the case 
All right, fair enough. All right, well, let's dig in, dig into. I think you, you hit upon a couple interesting things that Steve and I talk about, but let's dig into to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. He plays this character, Ricky Roma, um, and uh, I I posited this theory to Steve, and I think I've posited it to you before you, you came on that that this this movie to me we we chose it intentionally as the first one because. To me, it's a tipping to me, and not to Steve, and maybe not to you. Mm. Uh, it was a tipping point in his career. The next movie he was in after this was *Son of a Woman*, which is probably like when people criticize him. That's like the the role, role they'll point to as him playing a an outlandish character. And I actually think in the middle of this movie, he goes from like kind of being in the character when he's convincing Jonathan Price to like buy this land in the first half of the movie to like literally overnight. And I mean, overnight in the sense of the movie, he turns into like caricature Al Pacino. So with that in mind, uh, break down this performance for me from, from your perspective, Ricky Roma. And, and I mean, we, I want to, I want to go there first, but also talk about, you know, him relative to the other actors in this, because this is also a great movie as a point of comparison because of all the, all the, all the acting talent that's really in it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think you're on something with like the arc of Al Pacino's acting, if you can call it that, in the movie. <laughs> but but I guess his first, his first scene in the movie, I didn't immediately like despise everything about it. Like for a second, I was like, I almost had a moment of like maybe you know maybe I should tone down my hatred. Like you know the first scene, it's just like okay, this like he's not quite overacting this. Um, and I agree, it, it seems nearly reasonable to me. Um, but then when you juxtapose that with once they get back, you know, it's like the second day, like the movie only is t- covers two days. Once they get back uh, of Roma in his office setting, it immediately, I'm just, it like <laughs> immediately just drew me back in to just how distasteful his acting is. Because it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, wait a minute. I thought this was like a like a just a well scripted Todd like David Mamet play, and then all of a sudden Scarface is just like <laughs> sitting in the movie. It's like how utterly distracting for an otherwise really good movie was that. And so yeah, I, I do think that uh, you get to that point of everything I've ever thought of Al Pacino is after the first scene. And I'm not to say I liked him in the first scene, but it was I'd call it a wash. The first scene where he's with Jonathan Price. Well, even in that first scene, he's like chewing scenery and saying words that, like, he's saying them in a way that makes you convinced that he's like saying something, and then you actually think about the words and they don't make any sense. Like uh, every train compartment, you know, smells of yeah, right. <laughs> vaguely of human <laughs> refuse and stuff like that. Yeah, so it just when he. Pacino's like loud and kind of yelly voice that he has versus his more just kind of like soft, almost subtle voice that he has in this opening scene, which almost makes it look like it might be real acting. But then you just get like just again the scene is just utter incoherence, <laughs> and he has just these just ridiculous mannerisms that no one would ever have in a scene like that. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> and like some people might call this like I don't know. Like improvisation, but it's just dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we come to the heart of the matter. Um, all right. Well, I will tell you that uh, Steve was expecting this sort of response and preemptively booed you coming out of this segment. So 
Um, no, it's okay. You can boost the back next next uh, next month, I guess. Uh, I will. All right. Well, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to bring up about Pacino's performance, uh, but now would be the time. If not, we'll move on to the to the to the finishing blow here. Well, just the last thing. I mean, just real quick to say is that it's his his Pacino or uh, his performance or lack thereof is set in. You can call incredible. it. A, you can call it a Pacino. It's a, it's, his, it's, his, it's, it's it's its own it's its own verb. I think his Pacino is set side by side. A lot of actual great acting performances. Yeah. Uh, none the more so than Jack Lemmon's performance, yeah. which is incredibly good. And I didn't actually realize before seeing the movie that that's where the Simpsons Gill character came yeah. from. And it's spot on. Yeah. yeah. Well, I won't argue with you if you're saying that Jack Lemmon's better than Al Pacino. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's low-hanging fruit. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if Steve would agree with that, but I, we can agree on that. Um, but Jack Lemmon's one of the all-time yeah. greats, so, you know. He's great. Uh, all right, so we're, we're going to finish this uh, with a little little, uh, little rating exercise. And okay. uh, you, there are only three ratings you can give in this scenario. Okay. Um, but you can interpret them any way you want. Um, so this Pacino performance, would you rate it a Fredo, a Sonny, or a Michael on this, on the scale? You, and you take that however you want on, on the rating scale, but, and you know, I'm kind of expecting like 12 Fredos, but from you, well, maybe, maybe <laughs> next month we're doing Godfather two and maybe that'll get a Michael. But other than that, what, what, what scale would you, what, where would you rate this performance on the scale? Like, what, like three Fredos? Is that reasonable? <laughs> That's a lot of Fredos. No, I was just looking for one, either Fredo, Sonny, or Michael. But if you're saying it's like a Fredo times three. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a Fredo. I, sorry, I was confused for a second. <laughs> just the one Just the one Fredo? <laughs> just the one Fredo. Just the one. The Alfredo. Yeah, yeah. I'll give it the Alfredo. The Alf- I believe that's his full name. Did you know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> well, we're, well, you learn something every we're day. We're pretending like it is. It's Alfredo Pacino. Yeah. Uh, all right, so yeah. Alfredo, probably to be followed by many, many Fredos. Uh, it might be. We'll give it a subtle Fredo for now. I believe Steve, Steve, and I's ratings are will be after this in the actual recording, so uh, I won't, I won't spoil it. But, uh, but neither of us were in the Fredo category. We'll say that much. Um, Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> all right oh, that's great well tom we thank you for the time we know this is going to be a painful like you know 24 to 30 hours of your life uh going through al pacino's greatest uh greatest greatest in air quotes work uh here so so we we do appreciate the time and i guess we'll check back in with you after uh after godfather 2 and i think we're going to be unable to avoid the uh pacino de niro comparisons uh at that point uh, and i know that's coming probably many more times over the course of this podcast but thanks for joining well, us well thanks for having me and i'm looking forward to the brief respite <laughs> next week before we get to the the real shit show so thanks <laughs> all right all right cool. boo tom come on my new arch rival i guess it's nice to have an arch rival though i don't really have many so now we can if we ever see each other it'll be like superman and lex Luthor. So is it arch rivalry or arch nemesis? Something. Or? Definitely an arch. There's an arch element to it. Could be a nemesis by the end of this series. <laughs> yeah, there's we'll still a lot. We'll I think we're going to win. The whole the series is called And Justice for Al, which I I take to mean that we're going to get justice for a fantastic actor who's off maligned. So maybe we're going to win Tom over. We, I don't know. I take it to mean that Al is on trial <laughs> and that maybe at the end we're giving a guiltier 
You know what? The good thing is, you can interpret however you want. That's the great way about it. It's wordplay. You can take it and run with it, however, which way you choose. It's true. It's justice for Al, one way or another. (laughs) That's right. Justice can be good. Justice can be bad. We'll have to see what we have. uh, Twelve more movies to go through with maybe a righteous kill bonus episode. Oh God, don't make. (laughs) I don't want to do it either. But if the fans (laughs) demand it, though. Let's see what they want. Oh, it could be our first Twitter there poll. There you go. Hey. We need to run one. Do we? We'll get like two votes and there'll be both of us voting for no and that'll that'll win easily. So Sounds good. For now, everybody, though, um, we have another episode coming out in February. We're going to do The Godfather Part 2. So if you own The Godfather Part 2, if you're intrigued by it, if you enjoy this, find it. I mean, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. So I hope we're not telling you to see it for the first time. But go see it and... Pop back with us in a couple weeks, and we'll be talking Godfather 2. We'll be talking Al. We'll be talking a little Bobby D. We'll be talking a little um, Tom Hagen, a little Robert Duvall, and Abe Vigoda. I know Abe Vigoda's gone. We're not going to talk Abe Vigoda. R.I.P. No, he's not, he's not in the I know, second that's what I'm one saying. Yet. I got sad. I thought he might be there, but... We... Sorry, Tess. There's a young Abe Vigoda, I believe, but not the real Abe Vigoda. No. Isn't that uh, Bruno Kirby? Yes, that's right. Is it, it is. That's right, yeah. No, he might be young Clemenza, actually. Is he young? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I don't know if Tessio. There's a young, there's a young yeah. third guy, but I don't know if it's David. It's Tessio. Anyway, oh, see Godfather damn. Two, terrific film. I'm just, I'm just glad we got a Bruno Kirby reference in there. <laughs> yeah, Very Bruno. under, underappreciated. He's, he's gone man. too soon too. We miss Bruno Kirby. So, totally, totally. Yeah. A lot. Thank you everyone for listening. And as always, we are one nation under Pacino with liberty and justice for Al. Mm-hmm.